Hello everyone, welcome back to our podcast edition. This is Cece. And this is Claire. And this is our headline news episode. So for our first news story, the Trump administration moves towards allowing logging in Alaska's Tongass National Forest. In a revised environmental impact study, or EIS, released on Friday, September 25th, the Department of Agriculture recommended that the Tongass National Forest be granted full exemption from the Rollis Rule, which was enacted in 2001. The Rollis Rule prohibits the development on 9.37 million acres of Rollis areas, which comprises 55% of the Tongass. In the finalized EIS, the U.S. Forest Service recommends that the entire Tongass be removed from the Rollis designation, saying that the area will continue to be managed by the forest plan and will be managed, quote, in accordance with applicable statutory instructions, end quote. The Trump administration has been trying for two years to open the Tongass Forest for logging. This rule change will legalize the timbering of the forest. The Tongass actually plays a significant role in the fight against climate change, holding an estimated 8% of all carbon stored in U.S. national forests. Greenpeace's Amy Moist says that eradicating this rollless rule will cause irreversible ecological consequences because of the forest's role in slowing climate change. The decision can increase pollution and decrease our ability to fight that increasing pollution. Critics are also saying that development in these unspoiled areas could damage streams for salmon spawn and also damage the hunting grounds native tribes use. As you can probably tell already, there is much controversy on this topic. The timber industry says that the ability to log the Tongass will give them much-needed flexibility in the harsh global market. However, environmentalists are clearly opposing this decision. Um, this decision may not be permanent because if Biden is elected, he may reverse this decision. I think that quote that you gave, the in accordance with applicable statutory instructions, is like the epitome of vagueness. It's like the Hong Kong-China national security law. Exactly. The wording is just super vague, and I guess that means that they can do whatever they see fit, which can encompass many different meanings. Yeah, which is probably the worst part of this rule change, is that there's there's a very vagueness about how to go about logging, because you can log sustainably, um, depending on, like, whether you do uh regrow the trees how which trees you decide to log selective cutting Mm -hmm. um so i think that is my biggest concern especially since that the you know the rule change has already happened like there's no regulation as to how this is happening like for all they care these timber industry people like people could just go around chopping trees and no one would really care or do anything about it and obviously that can, you know, harbor some dire consequences for our future since the forest plays, like we said before, a really significant role in our journey to fight climate change, mm-hmm. you know. And we understand that the timber industry is suffering mm-hmm. for the part because of these environmental regulations and also possibly because there's a lack of demand as societies have started transitioning to alternatives of timber right like Mm -hmm. bamboo um, oh yeah for sure i mean usually plastic which has its own faults as well yeah which but i guess this kind of um i guess this kind of causes the timber industry to suffer a little more than it should be but like 
there's some long-term environmental consequences to consider and we should weigh like the consequences of each decision which one will help more in the long run will helping or like will allowing timber industry to cut down these trees be better or will um just letting these trees do their thing for the climate would that be better you know yeah especially as these are government um policies right the government often uses these types of policies to help certain industries right and if you truly wanted to fight climate change right and try to be live a sustainable life mm-hmm. in general the government can instead push out more policies that incentivize these more sustainable alternatives mm-hmm. instead of giving more leeway and more um I guess, like, allowing them just to do whatever they see fit. Yeah, the traditional uh, fuel. Yes. Or traditional energy, like timber. Mm-hmm. So the second story is about coronavirus restrictions in Australia that have left thousands of their own stranded overseas. That title seems very ominous. <laughs> yep. So tens of thousands of Australians are left stranded overseas because of the government's restrictions on the number of people allowed on flights back home to Australia. So Australia is actually one of the few places in the world that is limiting the number of their own people coming in and out. And in some states, perhaps, they're not even allowing people to leave at all. This is all to limit and slow the spread of coronavirus, which the Australia Prime Minister Scott Morrison has deemed essential. However, with the more people that have been stranded, there has been more pressure on Morrison to lax his travel regulations. These mounting critics believe that Australians should have the right to come back home, which in normal circumstances seems reasonable. (laughs) So last week, under growing pressure, Morrison raised the number of passengers allowed to enter from 4,000 to 6,000. He notes that the numbers depend on the state's abilities to cooperate and their capacity for quarantine arrivals. Unfortunately, experts say that these requirements have not been met. These same experts have also encouraged Morrison to consider alternatives, such as allowing people traveling from countries with low risk for infection to self-isolate, instead of having everyone quarantined in government-designed facilities. In the first week of September, more than 140 international flights with around 40,000 seats in Australia, but only 4,000 were occupied. This is because oftentimes first and business class seats are prioritized, indicating that a large number of people cannot afford to come home. This has raised some legal questions, obviously, about citizens' freedom of movement. For citizens still stuck overseas, the return home may not be guaranteed for another six months. Some citizens are even considering class action suits against the federal government. Others are starting and signing petitions, claiming that this entire situation is violating the human rights. One, I did not know Australia had states. That is how our education system has low-key failed us. Something we learned today. You know, you learn something new every day. Mm -hmm. And two, it's kind of scary how freedom of movement has, well, freedom has been brought into this because as you, you know, as I mentioned, right, if you have the money to go on first and business class seats, then you can go home. But if you don't, then you're kind of stuck. 
then what freedom? Like, there's no true freedom, right? Freedom depends on money. And that is capitalism. Is that actually, I feel like I say that a lot. <laughs> Everything, when, when you value money over people, I keep saying it's capitalism, but to be more exact, it's our current capitalistic culture. There you go. I mean, for this, I get that Morrison or like Australia's government just wants to keep COVID out of the nation. But like, are you kidding me? Not allowing people to come back home after how long has it been already since like the start of the coronavirus? At least six months already. Not allowing people to come back home after this really long amount of time is just unreasonable at some point. Like, there are people just stranded overseas because of this regulation and... I guess this might be less than like terrible in a different situation, but it's just kind of extreme. Like the alternatives mentioned, for example, having people coming in from low risk countries and having them just self isolate instead of, you know, continuously just going to government issued facilities and stuff like that. These alternatives have already worked so like pretty well in Hong Kong and in Singapore, I think. So it should be fine to follow through, right? I mean, honestly, with mm. all things COVID, everything's just so uncertain. Um, I mean, this is completely unprecedented. What mm -hmm. works, what doesn't. I mean, we know things like masks, social distancing work, right? And certain, um, like, medicine that can help combat at least the symptoms. But things that involve um, mass amount of people that are not just masks and COVID mm -hmm. is so you just don't know because usually you know that like in any type of illness right or specific flu you sometimes wear a mask you try to keep your distance that's common knowledge yeah but things like whether you should leave whether you are able to come back to your country for the sake of protecting yourself and others from covid who knows yeah i mean obviously the less people less movement that there is of people the less likely contact will be but Again, this is the point where, like, are what should we value over? There are mm -hmm. citizens that are losing their financial stability because they have to stay in an overseas country. They might lose their job and whatnot. Yeah. It's only been six months. You're not at your job for over half a year. Then, of course, you're going to lose your job. Plus, like we mentioned before, the whole thing about prioritizing business and first-class passengers over just regular, I guess, economy class, right? Yeah. This, I guess, shows that the people who can't afford to come back home are like people that aren't necessarily worrying as much about their financial stability, whereas people who can't even like afford to go home because of this prioritization, they're the ones that are being stranded overseas and stuck without jobs, which kind of shows how messed up this entire thing is. Mm -hmm. And their well, I feel like a lot of people's well-being is actually being severely impacted as well because they're just like stressed out they want to get back home to their like their families want to get back home to their jobs and just they just want to go home you know so exactly so our third news of today's episode is that facebook shuts down fake chinese accounts the accounts were mainly discussing china's interests but they also included fake information used to sway the 2020 presidential election the network had approximately 130,000 followers, though a majority of followers are not from the U.S. 
The fake Facebook accounts began to appear in 2016, and the information from these accounts were related to China's involvement and influence in the Philippines and in Southeast Asia. Most content was in support of China's interests, but there were some criticisms as well. Some accounts also voiced their support for former U.S. presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg, as well as Trump and Biden. Facebook also deleted a much smaller network of fake accounts originating from the Philippines, which focused on local news and a more domestic audience. Links are found to the Philippine police and military. It's funny to see Facebook shutting down fake Chinese accounts, but not taking down political fake news ads from U.S. politicians. Kind of ironic. But I mean, Facebook, for like in this situation itself, not just like taking down their own fake news and stuff like that. I think they did a pretty okay job shutting down these accounts before it got extremely out of hand, which is a Mm -hmm. good thing. I feel like if things had progressed a lot further, Mm -hmm. then it, like, the situation could have probably ended up, like, WeChat's news section, where when we mentioned, I think, last week, harbored a lot of fake news and things like that. Yeah. And it, something that interests me when I heard this was, um, these Chinese accounts, I'm assuming, are from China, right? Since the majority of followers are not from the U.S., are in support of Trump because their Trump has often spewed uh, anti-China sentiment and rhetoric along with, um, like, that trade war with China. Yep, that was a big thing. And with Pete Buttigieg, I'm also very surprised. This <laughs> seems to be out of random, unless there have been some policies that I'm not made aware of, but... Yeah, I think these accounts are bots too, not like actual people, so that might play a part in basically um, the news items that are being circulated through this network. Mm -hmm. And especially with the AAPI, which is Asian American Pacific Islander voting bloc, has grown considerably these past few years. Uh, Especially not only in presidential elections, but in local elections, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this this sort of fake news is more impactful than ever. Mm-hmm. Because I guess a lot of people keep up with the social media now, especially when they like talk about politics and things like that, like hot topic issues, you know. Since I guess like our generation, Gen Z, has grown up with social media influencing our lives basically forever for like the entire time we've lived. So yeah. Oh, and another point that was interesting was that how we mentioned the difference between Facebook's own fake news and, I guess, the response to this situation, right? And there's a lot of, I guess, controversy over how the U.S. has been dealing with China and quote-unquote, like, national security, right? Because, like, before we mentioned... Or last week we mentioned something about TikTok and WeChat and how our government has had this fear that China has been tapping into international security. It's like stealing people's information and things like that. But the thing is, some American conglomerates like on social media, Instagram, um, what else? Google, YouTube, things like that. They've basically been also doing the same thing, which is also, again, kind of ironic. Yeah. I mean... I. From a national security point, that does make sense because yeah. there is foreign influence, which, you know, we don't really want in terms <laughs> yeah. of presidential elections. But that's not to say, I think, 
people often forget that our own companies do the same and they themselves can sway. It's just it's more special interest within the country than、um, mm-hmm. outside the country. Yeah. Well, that's all the news that we have for you today. But、um, before we end this episode, we still need to talk about our fun fact about Sundays. In eighteen twenty two, on September twenty seventh, French scholar Jean Francois Champion announces he has deciphered Egyptian hieroglyphics using the Rosetta Stone. I pulled my what six years of French, knowledge, French language classes just to make some sort of botched accent. On the Jean Francois Champion, so I hope you all appreciated that, and that's all that we have for you today. Thank you for listening. Have a good Sunday.